Hey everyone, welcome or welcome back to the Quaybog Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel or check us out on Facebook. That way you'll have access to fresh content every week. But most importantly, we hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey because our mission here at Quaybog is to help you worship, connect, and serve. Enjoy! Uh, as uh, hopefully we've seen throughout this uh, series so far, of just looking at where what's the soup that we live in with this stuff, and what are like people that are coming up, the generations behind us, what are they thinking about stuff like this, and what kind of feelings are surrounding money? And most of the time, it's not peace. Um, most of the time, it's anxiety and it's worry. Um, and I think that that's something that we can address. We can be an influence on, uh, as Jay said in a week two video. That's something that people can see in us, that there, there's a, a peace there, there's a, a calmness there, there's a different way of living that's reflected there that we can ultimately share. That was Jay's, really his perspective of what he wants to do with where he is financially is to be able to say, yeah, I do things differently because I follow a, a different savior. You know, I follow Jesus and he dictates the way that I live my life and the way that I see what I need is important. And so um, that's, I think, one way that we get there because uh, the next slide there, what, what would it feel like? to have financial peace? You know, that's a good question. What would it look like in your life to say, uh, I know I live within what God has blessed me with, and that you actually see it that way, whether it's a lot, whether it's a little, that you understand that in America, you're blessed, you've got a lot, and you don't need more all the time, right? It's not bad to get more, don't get me wrong, but we don't need it all the time. We're not chasing that. And so how can you live that? How can you reflect that maybe in your kids and in your grandkids, your neighbors, people you work with? Like, how can we let people see that because in our country what's normal debt and overspending right debt and overspending are normal in our country and that's just the way that we live we um we don't necessarily utilize debt because we're doing it for business purposes or investment purposes or something like that like i know there's like ways that people approach debt out there but most of the time it's just because we want what we can't afford right like i need this and then that that question i think is a great one to bring up do I actually need that or do I just really need others to see that I have it, right? That's a great question uh, to always ask. Like, do I really need that? Um, because a lot of the times the answer is no. Can I afford that? Maybe. And that's a different thing. Can I save for that and then eventually get that? Maybe. But the phrase that I remember using for a long time um, is my mentality for a long time was like, well, I can afford the payments. What's wrong with that, though, is you can until you can't. Because I've known plenty of other people who could afford the payments and then something happened. They got injured or their job got cut or, you know, a million different scenarios. And all of a sudden they can't afford the payments. And then what are they going to do? Well, they're going to worry. They're going to be full of anxiety. And so for a long time, again, I kind of did that. Well, we can afford it. We can afford the payments. And I just realized that like, well, how about you just save instead? Just say no for a little bit. And so there's there's a lot of this stuff that just ties into how we think, what we're taught, and it's not always good um, because um, as the next one here, you'll see the some of the ways we've been bouncing around that question of financial peace is to look at some principles. The first one being that the money isn't ours. We're just managing it. Now, if you say that you're a follower of Christ and you say you believe in God's goodness to take care of you, this is something that starts whether you're in eighth grade, whether you're getting ready to face college, or whether you're retired and you're watching your grandkids take those steps. Like whatever phase of life that you're in, can you say that, you know, what I have is a gift from God? 
because you should for one if you're america you got to know that you're like you're ridiculously wealthy compared to everybody else in the world right i mean more than two-thirds of the planet doesn't have what we have even at like the lowest bar in america and so to know that we've been blessed and then to know that the peace comes from that one specifically because you're like you know god's taking care of me and he will take care of me i just i've seen the evidence of that in my life so it's like the where's the next thing going to come from well i'm going to trust god for that next thing that i might need and then the second one was wisdom and community our key what we've been trying to do of course is share the wisdom of god each week why we're doing Financial Peace University is so that no matter what stage of life you're in, you can be wisdom in community. Because I know, I know the leaning can be like, well, I don't need to know this series because, you know, I'm kind of past the young kids stage or I don't need Financial Peace University. But it's like as a community of believers, as Christians, can we weigh in and say, but I do have a little bit of wisdom. I've done things wrong in the past. I've not always done them right. Or here's the ways I've done it really well. Because wisdom, godly wisdom and godly community are so, so important in life, but especially with this stuff. Because there's a lot of bad information out there, right? There's a lot of bad information. And then what do people do with bad information? If they don't have wisdom, they just accumulate bad information and they build up bad knowledge. But then they just think that that's the way that it should be. Godly wisdom will be like, no, that's not actually the right way to do that. That's not the best way to do that. Like, I know that's the way it feels, but you don't have to do that. And again, that's why we want to do connect groups because godly community are so important. Uh, and then last week we did, you were more than your possessions. Uh, Jesus actually specifically said this. We did this through the context of Job last week, but Jesus actually makes this very specific point in Luke chapter 12. Jesus says this, watch out and be on guard against all greed because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. You know, this is your savior speaking. This is Jesus speaking. And so if we are going to call ourselves followers of Jesus, we are essentially saying, I'm a disciple of Christ. I'm a follower of Jesus. Therefore, I'm going to listen to him. I'm going to believe this statement right here is true and that my life is not in the abundance of the things that I have in my possessions. But here's the unfortunate part. You live in a culture where it very much is, right? We live in a culture that very much is. You are identified, you are given value based on how much you have. But to the wealthiest per- people that we know in America, Jeff Bezos, and who else? Who else? And we've got Warren Buffett. Who else? Good. We'll just see how many we know. Zuckerberg? Elon? Who else? Bill Gates? These are all, some of these people are pretty miserable people. You know, like their lives are a mess because their priorities are out of order, right? Because there's a lot of wealthy people out there whose lives are falling apart. Even our beloved Tom Brady. <laughs> if I could speak blasphemy this morning and, you know, his life is not a pretty, it looks, you know, like the, the perfect picture from the outside, but here his marriage has been falling apart and now he's divorced. And so it's like, you know, these things aren't, that's not, you got to be more than that. And Jesus is trying to get us to understand that there's more going on than just what you own, but that's, it's hard to live that out in our culture and in this world. So today, again, we're going to be looking at Jesus talking money. Uh, the importance of understanding that he gets this area of our life a lot. He gets the tension that can be brought on. But here's what I, I would like you to think about. Honestly, like for you personally, would you say that I know Jesus Christ does in fact love me and care about me? right? 
Does Jesus Christ actually love me and care about me? Because when we talk about an issue like this, when we look at the Sermon on the Mount of all things, his most famous sermon where he's talking about, hey, these are the really important things that like being a follower of mine. And for him to spend so much time on finance and worry, it's like, do we believe that he's got our best interests in mind? Like Advent, right? Galatians 5.1, for freedom, Christ set you free. For freedom, Christ set you free. So don't go back to the yoke of slavery again. That's what, that's what Paul says about what Jesus did in this life. That applies to this life. Jesus wants you to have freedom in this life. Why? Because he actually cares about you in this life. Why? Because he said, I want you to have an abundant life. What Satan would love for you to have is things that are stolen, things that are killed, things that are destroyed, right? And there's this contrast that Jesus is making. And so do we believe Jesus enough to say, I am going to follow him with my life? Because in here and in general, Jesus talks a lot about uh, possessions. He talks a lot about money because he understands fully that this is how the world operates. He gets that these are important things to us, that we need money. And yes, we do even need possessions. He understands that. But did you know so much? So he talks about these things so much so that one out of every seven verses of Jesus words talk about money. That's a lot of what's recorded of Jesus. Now, what could, I, could, I could twist this and I could beat you over the head with false information and say, this is how much he taught about it. The truth, though, is he did not teach about money every time it's recorded that he's talking about money. But why, if he's not teaching about it, why is he talking about it so much? Because it's pervasive in our lives. It's easy for Jesus to use something as important, important as money and possessions to make bigger points with because he understands that almost every area of our life intersects with money. So no, he's not always teaching one out of every seven verses, but he's talking about it a lot because he understands it's pervasive. And it's something that all of us can connect with is our money. But he does talk about it a lot. And I just think that's interesting to think about it in that context. So given that, if, if he really does love us, if he really does care for us, if he really does get us, then shouldn't we listen to him? Well, yeah, of course we should. But then the next follow-up question is, but do we? Well, sometimes Jesus is like, he, he loves me, but he's not right. Right? We would never say that out loud. But that's the way we live our lives, isn't it? I know he loves me. I know he's got a better plan. But he's not always right. Right? I mean, say that next time you say something mean to your spouse. Or next time you cheat on something. Or you're dishonest. Or you're making money decisions. I say that, like, I know, Jesus, you love me, but you're just not right this time. That'll make your choices seem a lot more awkward, right? If you know you're not following God, and if you just said, Lord, I know you love me, but you're not right this time. Most of the time you are. I'll give you 95%, right? But let's just understand that Jesus does have the best plan. So, again, let's go and look at the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be in Matthew 6 this morning, uh, and he's going to be in a huge section talking about, uh, go to the next one. He's going to be talking about money and possession. So we're going to pick up in verse 19 and look at how he addresses this. So I'll be reading out of the CSB this morning. So he says this, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust are going to destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. Jesus is speaking 2,000 years ago and just as applicable 
today as it was back then because this is like this is where we find anxiety and fear people are just wanting to hoard treasure treasure is not bad again i'm going to say that every week having wealth and lots of it is not a bad thing um, but what jesus is getting at here is a hoarding mentality and with hoarding comes a sense of anxiety because now all i'm worried about is i'm not managing a gift from god i'm just selfishly keeping it to myself and now i'm worried about how to just protect it and that's all i'm worried about i don't want moth and rust to destroy it i don't want thieves to steal it from me and that's that's my only focus and so jesus is talking in extremities here he's saying this is the kind of person that has anxiety this is the kind of person who's not trusting god this is the kind of person who is living sinfully when it comes to their stuff and of course thieves are still breaking in and stealing today aren't they we see it all the time. We saw it in the crypto market, man, like just Ponzi schemes. And like, all, if you watch the news, man, people are, they're just way smarter about it nowadays. They have way trickier ways to get your money, right? And so people are still looking for ways to do this. And there's just this sense that Jesus is saying, man, our, our finances are fragile. They're fragile. And if your life's pursuit is just to protect them, you're never going to find peace. You're never going to find peace because you've got zero trust. And so he's addressing, I think, a very, very important topic here that still for us is pretty applicable. And so after this, though, he's going to say one where you probably know, verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. There your heart will also be. And he's talking about loyalty there, because if you look at uh, the 19 and 20, He's storing up for yourselves treasure in heaven as compared to the ones here on earth. He's saying you need to do things that echo into eternity. And in order to echo into eternity, you need to do things that are involved and focused and aimed toward eternity. So that's generosity. He's saying, like, do things with your money. Build wealth. Yes, that's the whole FPU thing. The whole Financial Peace University is build lots of wealth as much as you can so that you can be way more generous than everybody else. Like that you just have that capacity to just be that kind of person. And the focus, though, the difference is not just building wealth, but the generosity part is right here. Because I don't know about you, but wherever, like, wherever your treasure is, you're going to start orienting your life toward that. Think back to when you had a crush when you were younger, right? Think about it in school. You tried to make sure everywhere you went was probably where that person was going to be, right? You start orienting the direction of class, you know, you start taking the long way to that next class so that you can see that person, right? Where our treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. That's where your life is going to start to orient toward. And if you're the selfish person that he said in 19 and 20, everything you do is going to start to orient toward that. And that's going to be your focus rather than saying, no, 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 I'm, I'm going to build wealth. Yes, but I'm going to be a very generous person because my focus is on Christ. That's where my treasure is. That's where my heart is. That's where the direction of my life is going. So he's making a contrast here by talking about verses 19 and 20 and then like making the point, just in case we missed it, in verse 21 that we need to orient our way toward God. And these next verses here in verse 22 and 23 seem a little out of place because here he is talking about money and like wealth and then all of a sudden he says in verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body, but if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. And verse 23, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? 
So really though, he's just, he's making a different example. He's hitting the same point from a different illustration. And he's saying again, what, what are your eyes focused on? Right? Where's your heart? Because what your eyes are focused on, what you're looking at is what's going to affect every part of you. And dealing in the context of this passage here, because again, he's preaching a sermon, so it's all connected ideas. He's saying that if you are focused solely on money and that's all your eyes are on, it's going to corrupt you and it's going to corrupt every part of you because that's what greed does to us. Greedy people tend not to be very happy people. Interesting little statistic for you here. So getting ready for the series, I bought all these Barna resources and Barna is a research organization that looks at Christianity as a whole, but really in the context of America at large. And so they, they pulled all these people, thousands of people, and they found literally statistically across the board without fail that people that were generous happened to be, correlation, happened to be more satisfied in 10 other areas of their life. So the, how, how they felt about themselves, how they felt about the future, even how they felt about their health. Like how they felt about other people, the world at large. They were, tend to be less cynical. It was interesting to see uh, out of these 10 different categories because they lined them up. They said, here's high capacity givers. Here's like people that give regularly that are just generous people. And then here are people that are, identify themselves as non-givers. I'm like, that'd be weird. I think I'd lie if I was just a selfish person. I'd be like, no, no, I'm super generous. you know. But people that self-identified as no, I don't give to anybody across the board. They were just miserable people. Like they tend to have a darker outlook on a, a 10 di major different areas of life. And so there's just something about being a giving person and something about this that bears out even today in 2023 statistically that this darkness, if we think we have light and we're just fooling ourselves because we believe bad information, we bought into maybe a cultural idea of how, you know, what financially is going to make us happy. Jesus is saying, how sad is that? How awful is that if what you think you have is light, but it's actually dark? Like you fooled yourself because of what you're letting in, what your eyes are focused on. So again, it seems a little out of place, but Jesus is really just trying to make a different kind of point about the same thing, about finances and about what we're focused on. Because if you've lived long enough, you've probably understood that little things end up compiling and turning into what? Big things, right? The way you eat, you're active, the way you save buying a coffee every single day, right? The way that you think about yourself, right? If you just, if you're always talking negatively about yourself, that builds up and that just becomes who you are, right? Little things build up. And so Jesus is again, making the point here. These little things are important. What we let in, what we think about, what we focus on is important. And then he closes with this little section here of this part of his sermon. He says, no one can serve two masters since either he will hate the one and he's going to love the other or he's going to be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. <clears throat> and remember, he's talking at, during a time when a lot of people were slaves. <clears throat> In some areas, the majority of people were slaves. Like, so that's a really high contrast. And so Paul's talking to people that they get this message. They get this kind of language. Like you, can't, you can only have one master. And they're like, yep, yeah, I get that. Right? And so he's, he's speaking to them in their language, in their context, because he says, you cannot serve both God and money. And he's just trying to get his listeners to understand how all-consuming it is, how their shifting allegiance is going to subtly change. Like I said, subtly change the choices that they make and the direction that their lives head. And it's about, at the end of the day, he's talking about loyalty to God. He's talking about, where is my heart? Because 
if I am like letting myself slip into the idolatry of trusting my job, trusting my finances, trusting my income, trusting my investments, whatever the thing might be, if I'm trusting the market, all that kind of stuff, that's just going to bring this anxiety. That's going to bring what Jesus said is a shift in loyalty away from God's goodness to all my stuff. And right now I got a hoard and now I have to protect my wealth and my stuff. So Jesus is really trying to drill down into this idea of loyalty. And his sermon continues to go. He continues to preach on this. In Matthew 6, 25 through 34, this is the cure for anxiety. I don't know what your paracopy says in your Bible. Mine, right next to these passages, says the cure for anxiety. So if you don't want to be like the scenario found in the first part of the sermon, this is the solution here. This is, this is Jesus' answer to it. And as I said earlier, in this section, worry is mentioned six different times. Six. Like Jesus understands. He gets how worried we can be about this stuff. So he says, therefore, I tell you, don't worry about... Now look, he's going to highlight all these major areas. Don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat and drink, about your body or what you will wear. Right? So basically everything. He's covering all the basics that we absolutely must have. And then he says, isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing. And essentially the point that Jesus is now going to make as he addresses all these things is he's going to say this more or less the next one here. Put your trust in God first and he'll take care of the rest of your life. But what does that look like? Well, verse 26, he's going to address food first. Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into the barns, yet your heavenly father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? You know, Jesus is like, look, I came here to die for you, not birds. You were created in my image, not birds. So you have infinite value compared to them. And he's, and he's talking to people. Let's not forget, historical context, always important. He, when he teaches them, in this very sermon, when he teaches them how to pray, he says, give us this day what? Our daily bread. Why? Because tomorrow's bread wasn't guaranteed for these people. They lived in a world where food was not a guaranteed thing like it is for us, Right? just wasn't. Most of us have like food going bad. You know, we throw food away all the time because it's just going bad. And so he's like, he, he understands that tension. He understands the real need for food. And that's why when he's talking about these things, he's talking to people that understand that food is a scarcity. It's not a guarantee. And he goes on in verse 27, making the point again about worry. Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? I'm not saying you can't plan. But he's saying you don't need to focus on worry. It's a worry versus peace thing here that he's talking about. I get these are very real needs, but I don't want you to worry about them. In this context, in this culture, it's a big deal. And he says in verse 28, And why do you worry about clothes? Hitting the next thing that he brought up. Observe, and the Greek word there literally means to learn carefully from. Learn carefully from how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor. They don't spin thread. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God closes the, closes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So if he's going to take care of them, he'll take care of you. Uh, and again, he's talking to people that don't have it easy. So this is even a difficult message for them to hear. right? And this, again, it's why his focus, even in his prayer, was on this. And there's no shame in this. Um, there's no 
like today there's no like, oh, are you a worrier? Then man, God doesn't love you and you're just going to hell. Like there's none of that. Because sometimes people go there. They're like, man, I just feel like I worry about stuff so much. You know, God must like, you know, he must hate me or he must whatever. I've heard people say the weirdest things about worry. And they just feel like it separates him from God. But he is making a point. Like if, if you're choosing to worship your worry, it's really hard to worship God. So there is a choice that we have to make there. There is like a, a mental exercise. I think sometimes, like Paul said, you got to renew your mind. Because sometimes our minds lie to us, right? Our emotions lie to us. Our fears get the better of us. And Jesus is like, I just don't want you to have to live that way. Like, I want you to know that in a, in a Christian community, especially when people are following me with their lives, like you're, you're going to be taken care of. Your needs will be met, right? Because that's what this looks like, following me and trusting me. And in two different places here, he's going to go and sum it all up here. And, uh, well, three different, uh, these verses here, these last four verses. He says, so don't worry, saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. And then verse 33, famous verse, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Trust God. He'll take care of the rest. And how does that look? Again, let's think realistically of being a disciple, like this community. What does that look like in this community? Next verse, from also from Luke 12, where we started off, uh, you're more than your possessions. A few verses before that, which we read, he says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Like, I want you to take care of people. In a Christ-like community, I want you guys to take care of one another. I want there not to be people that are needy. Now, if there's a billion people that are actually Christians in this world, one-seventh of the world population, if in fact there are that many people, which I doubt, but if there are people that say they're Christians, that many people in the world, this world should look a whole lot different if we were all following him with our lives and with our wallets and we really had a heart to take care of the poor. Like Jesus doesn't like qualify this at all. He said, just take care of people that need it, you know? And so that's why last week we mentioned, hey, we got a brother Frank here in our own church. He got hit by a car. Now his insurance is in danger of running out, but we got a bunch of money raised, right? And then we've got um, people that are buying basket hangers from Mary, and we've got other funds that are available once um, if he needs more. Why? Because we want to take care of people that are in need. They need help. That's why our church donates 10% of all of our tithes all over the place. That's why we do that, because we want to be generous as a church. We don't just want to hoard what comes in. We want to be generous with that. And that's the model that, that he gives us. And then there's this question here. <laughs> a lot of people might ask this. Why doesn't God do something about all the suffering in the world? Right? Man, there's so, much, like, so many issues with clean water and food and this and that. But again, if we go back to what Jesus has called us to live like, I think the answer to this question is he did. He put you in it. Right? A lot of people, wow, look at all the problems out there. I know. What are you doing about any of them? Right? Are you just doing what your circle is about? Maybe do you like not go out to eat so that you can sponsor kids that are in other countries and provide for their basic needs? Things like that. We don't need to overcomplicate it. You know, like are you taking a little money out of your budget every month to say, I'm gonna be God put me on this planet to be generous, to help. Right? He's allowing me to build wealth so that I can help. Like these are ideas that are like intrinsic to who we are as followers of Christ, because it reflects his love. It reflects his love. And I want to end uh, this section here, and I just want to briefly read 
an example that I think can be applicable for us, because I want us to put us and ourselves in this story. And it's in Mark chapter 10, and it's he's talking with this guy, the rich young ruler. And this is not a story that's prescriptive for everyone. It's not like everybody needs to run out and sell their possessions like this guy, like every single possession you have. But it was this guy's issue. And the reason we know not everybody has to sell everything they own and give to the poor, in Acts chapter 5, you see something like this happen as well. You see uh, Ananias and Sapphira sell their property, right? And they, they acted like it was all the money that they had from it, but they lied, right? It wasn't actually all the money. And they just lied to make themselves look more generous and look better. And Peter says to them, look, it was your property. You could have done whatever you wanted with that. And instead, you sold it and you came in here and you lied to God about what you're offering, right? So it's, it is your property. You can do what you want with it. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, I want you to have, or 2 Corinthians 9, I want you to have a joyful heart when you give. I want you to be a generous person because that's who you are because you're reflecting the love of Christ. But here was this guy's issue. So this guy, as Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up, he knelt down before Jesus, and he asks him this, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Because that's what Jesus was always talking about. Why do you call me good? Right? Jesus is making a point here to this guy. No one's good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't defraud. Honor your father and mother. Just throwing out some commandments for him. And he's testing him a little bit here. And he says to him, teacher, I've kept all these commandments from my youth. And this is where Jesus really stops the conversation in its tracks and goes right after the issue that this guy was struggling with. Looking at him, Jesus loved him. I think it's incredible how that starts out. So he does what he's about to do out of love. And he says to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. But he was dismayed by this demand, and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. It's a good scenario for us to think about ourselves. You know, are we like that? Are we so concerned with hoarding, like Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount, that we're completely unconcerned about eternal things? Jesus is saying, my followers need to be generous because there's an eternal weight to the decisions that they make with their money. There's peace involved in your finances that's offered to you if you will trust me, if you just trust me. And that's a scary thing to do, and God gets it. That's why he talks about it so much, because it's a big part of our lives. And so, again, small things add up over time. So uh, I interviewed Gary and Brenda Bissett this week to kind of speak to this about decisions that they made over the long haul. You know, how can they look back on their life and be like, these are decisions we made. This is how we were influenced to think this way, because community, again, is hugely important when it comes to stuff like this. So this week, they're going to talk a little bit about um, not being so tight-fisted and about trying to be wise with their money so that it impacts their life later. So my name is Gary Bassett, and this is my wife, Brenda Bassett, and we're here to talk a little bit about our story of uh, financial peace. <laughs> Some of the, the advice that we received, you know, as we were growing up and um, was having an example set for us, um, you know, by our parents, you know, my mom, you know, I remember sitting, you know, having her sitting at the kitchen table and writing out uh, on her budget envelope book. And uh, mm -hmm. she used to carry that everywhere. 
you know, so that was an example set forth with me and from the very uh, beginning. And uh, same, same, same for me with my dad. I had the same thing. I remember him sitting at the table and he had one ledger for certain things and then an envelope system for for the rest of his budget. And it was just without fail, down to the penny, he would know exactly where all of the money was going. Felt that was very important because they did go through some hard times um, and obviously some wonderful times. So he always knew and always budgeted their money so they knew exactly what they had and always could pay their bills and never had any credit card debt, which was also um, very inspiring. Yes. <laughs> However, <laughs> we didn't always model that as a couple when we first got married we got into credit card debt and even though we had those examples we still so that was probably the bad side of it no no bad influences on us but we just didn't make the best choices so and we knew that, we had to change that and at that time we didn't have a budget system mm -hmm. you know our, ourselves we didn't sit down and talk about it at all even though we're newly married and you know, and then we finally said, you know, we have to do something. You know, there's too much debt, you know, as a young couple. You know, we're just starting a family and, you know, purchased a house early on. And um, we, we finally said, yeah, we have to sit down and do this. Okay. So what we've done... Um, after talking about it, you know, we said we have to do an envelope system. Um, and there's many ways you know, that you can do that. And so we sat down and we figured out, you know, what our envelopes needed to be. And, you know, including tithing, including going out, including our recurring bills. And, you know, made that work, you know, including, you know, um, refinancing the home you know not once or twice or three times even um you know we did what we had to do to make sure that we you know followed that budget to be good stewards of our money and to get out of debt okay. right and i think it, it what for me what it did was it just i knew there was a burden on gary i just didn't realize how much there was because he was taking charge of that and um i knew and i would sit with him but I just never realized just the weight of all of that prior to doing the envelope system. Um, like living paycheck to paycheck and not really having an understanding of where our money was going. So I just saw such a weight lifted when we did it and just such a piece about money and it's been that way ever since. So that's been a true blessing. Yeah. It's going on 20 years so 20 years, years yeah. <laughs> We've been doing that this year actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think my parents, for sure, are probably two of the most generous people that I know and that you know. <laughs> yeah. um, but they were just always so giving to any circumstance, whether it be for us or people outside the family or any need that they saw through church or sponsoring children and things like that. So I did see that. And also our sisters, both of our sisters our and sisters. their husbands. Mm -hmm. Um, incredibly generous so we're just surrounded by it so it just was such a good example to both of us so mm. that's been huge for us you know it's we've been able to 
hopefully model that for our kids too. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think just if you've been blessed and you're just incredibly thankful for all that you have, you just want to give. And it's just what God wants us to do, mm. to share it, to help others, and just always just be grateful for the gift mm. that we've been given. Mm -hmm. And it's not our money. It's not our money, right? <laughs> like you've been saying, you know, we're managing, we're managing it and so I think that's been a good reminder for us, too, every week when you've been mentioning that. It's been like, oh, yeah, it's very true. <laughs> it is. Yep. And, you know, you know, tithing, you know, is, is our number one envelope to make sure that that's, you know, that account's filled first in every uh, paycheck. And, um, you know, giving, giving away, sponsoring children or whatever, it's, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Giving it away is gives us a lot of lot of joy these days, mm -hmm. and uh, knowing that he'll he's got everything else covered. Right. You know that's. I'm trying to teach our children the same with tithing from a young age. Mm -hmm. Even we were talking earlier about you know them doing envelopes when they were little, and even if they only had a couple of dollars, mm -hmm. they had three envelopes. <laughs> they had one for tithing and one for saving, and one for spending. And it wasn't much in it, but they it modeled that from an early age and they took that into college and now they're both married and they're both doing the same with their husbands so I think generationally now we're on third generation of this so that's pretty cool. <laughs> yes. that is cool. Alright so yeah one piece of advice I would give like to give is that don't think you know that uh, purchasing is a, a car is an investment because <laughs> you know we've made that mistake as well not only once but twice um, you know that was uh, a bad mistake that we've learned that we've made yeah and you know and the other piece would be to you know do a budget you know that's the only way that you'll be able to track and manage your money wisely yeah and just um I think just being diligent with it and on, on my part, just because he is handling the finances, just try, and I can be better about this, like sitting with him and making sure that I'm understanding what's going on as well and trying, you know, being on the same page, which we definitely are at this point, you know, mm -hmm. maybe we weren't always, of course, but um, now with this, I just know that when the bills come, thank God we have the money and it's there and it's just a relief of not I mean, where where are we pulling this from this week or this month to pay this and it's just it definitely is a piece and so I, I'm very grateful very grateful for that yeah and again passing it along was huge for us so hoping that if we can help somebody else we're willing to talk to anybody too that might have questions so yeah job uh, now what's cool though about the generational influence so they talked about how important their parents were and the influence they have so i want you to kind of digest that for yourself the influence that you have hey these are mistakes that we made we've not always done it right always done it right but here's some lessons that we've learned because uh, next week we're going to watch a video from john and sarah so their daughter and just see that how that how, that impact has has kind of played out through three generations because i do want us to hear that because we all need to understand we do have some influence this, this wisdom in this community is uh, that we can all be a part of that, right? And so 
the, the things that we've talked about, though, just to kind of recap and remember, because we covered a lot of ground here. Like they said, money isn't ours. We're just managing it. It really does help orient you to what Jesus talked about today, understanding that they are gifts from God. I want to manage it well, and I don't need to constantly be wrapped up in worry. We're going to worry. Yes, we will. But Jesus says when you just start to fixate on it is because your, your priorities, your, your loyalty is wrong. It's to that, that pile of stuff, and it's really hard not to worry about that stuff, especially in today's economy and today's world. But just that peace that can come from, I know God's got this. And then next, wisdom and community are key, as again, as we saw from them today. And then thirdly, we looked at, our, we are more than our possessions. As Jesus said in Luke 12, like you're not just what you own. You're more than that. And then today, we looked at Jesus did talk money, and he does want us to have peace about it. It's a big, big deal. And he wants us to see ourselves as people that are generous, as people that are focused on, on other folks. So. Today, as we, uh, as we digest that, what does that look like for you to say that Jesus wants us to live differently with money? Is there anything that any like worry or fear, or is there help that you need and you need to reach out for? Because we've had people do that, and then we try to network, and we try to figure out how can we get them help? How can we get them advice? Right? That, and that's what the body of Christ does. Like We're trying to build a team of people that can be there for other people to talk and to share advice and to share some counsel with people because Jesus does have a lot to say about this in his sermons and the things that he said, but also in all of scripture. It's talked about a lot because it's a big deal for us. So Tim, could you come up uh, and, and pray? And, and just as he's doing that, just I, I challenge you to, to think about that, pray about that. What kind of influence can you have? Where's your heart? You know, where are your eyes? What are you fixed on? Where's your trust oriented toward? And if you haven't already looked at the connect groups, we invite you to do that. We got that QR code. We'll have some people over it up to help. Because everybody, again, that was the value today, is just that generational influence that we can have and we can share with one another. All right, uh, let's pray together. Uh, Father, thank you for, thank you for your word. Um, money is everything. It's, it's, it's everywhere. It's unavoidable. And yet, it's something that we can connect to our faith. We see it in every area of life, but it's also important to you, and we want to do it well. We have an opportunity to take something that's generally just so personal, it's individual, it's, you know, we, we don't talk about it. We have an opportunity to help others, influence others, uh, show others how our money can be connected to our faith. When we look at money differently, it gives us opportunities to talk about you. And so I pray that you create those opportunities. And I pray that uh, you begin working in our hearts, that we can all be obedient to you in all matters. And so when that means our personal finances, uh, be with our hearts then. Soften them and prepare them to be obedient to you. When it comes to us having influence in others, open up our mouths and prepare hearts so that we can do exactly what you called us to do as a body, loving each other to be more like you. Father, we love you. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Amen. I love you all. Have a great week. Once again, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast so you get notified of new content every week. Remember, we want to help you worship, connect, and serve. So if you live in the central Massachusetts area, we would love for you to engage with us on Sundays. For more information, service times, and details about our children's and youth ministries, visit us at quaybogchurch.org. Have a blessed week.